0: Todd is going to be speaking and teaching to us this morning from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And I would like to read those verses. So if you would, would you take your Bible and join me as we read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you,
1: he spent three years deeply connected with these people in life and ministry. So out of all the churches that he planted, I think some of his most meaningful relationships (laughs) were here in Ephesus. And so as you can imagine in your mind's eye, how difficult it would have been for him to try to portray his thoughts in this letter that he's writing to this church while he's literally hundreds of miles away under house arrest. You have to know that as hard as he might have struggled to to find the words, they all seem to to fall short. So twice now, as he's writing this letter, he pauses to pray. It's as if he's saying, if you really want to know what's on my heart, then to listen to what my prayer is for you. He asks God to, to help them experience the fullness of all that he has made known to them, to experience all the fullness of what God has made possible. That's Paul's deepest desire for the people in Ephesus. It reminds me of what John writes in his third third letter when he said, I have no greater joy than when I see my children, people whose lives I've invested my life into,
0: when I see you walking in the truth. I think that's Paul's heart
1: in the midst of his prayer. I think the presence of this prayer in his letter is a lesson in and of itself. It teaches us that our prayer life is a reflection of what matters most in our life. What we pray about is a reflection of what's on our heart. If you want to know what's on someone's heart, then listen to their prayers. It's a a posture of dependence. It's the understanding that as much as I care about something, the only one who can affect lasting change is God. And so I think when Paul is praying, he understands that his greatest work of ministry is on his knees. And so as he writes this letter, he records his prayer for them to read and to hear his voice. I think for that reason, our prayer life is very often a a good indicator of our spiritual well-being. It tells us where we're at. If there's an absence of prayer in our life, it would suggest that we feel like we're doing pretty good on our own. If we're not going to God in prayer, we're probably doing pretty good giving our own guidance and direction and maybe asking Him to join us as we go along, but we're not dependent upon Him. But I think if our life like Paul's letter, is consistently interrupted with prayer. It it teaches us that that our heart relies ultimately on Him. That we best care for those we love when we relinquish our control by praying for them. Like Paul, we do our very best ministry when we're on our knees. And, And so I think fact that this prayer is in his letter is a lesson in and of itself. As much as Paul loved these people in the Ephesian church, he knew that his presence was not what was ultimately most important in their well-being. They could make it fine without him, but they could not make it without the presence of God. They needed to experience the fullness of God by the work of the Spirit transforming their This morning, that we see the heart of a man who deeply loved people he was writing to, but knew that their well-being was ultimately dependent not upon him and his presence with them, but ultimately on you and your presence within them. Through the work of your Spirit, transforming their lives building them up to be a people with whom you dwell and through whom the people of the world would find redemption. So, Father, as we come before you this morning, may we have that same humble heart, that same heart of gratitude for your grace which you've lavished upon us. Father, we pray that uh, you will take these words and literally change our lives. That's our prayer, and we ask this in your name, amen. So let's read again what uh, Matt read for us this morning, beginning in verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives this name. Paul begins his prayer with a heart of reverence. He says, I bow my knees before the Father his posture bowing before the father reflects his reverence before the god in whom he prays he's humble but he's also confident you remember back in verse 12 he says in whom we have boldness and confident access through him in faith so he's saying i'm going to live out what i just told you is true and i'm going to come before a holy and sovereign god humbly on my knees but in confidence that he hears my requests He's invited us into his presence. He wants us to express what's on our heart. He's a father from whom every family on earth derives its name. Now, as you hear that, I want you to think back to the Garden of Eden. I want you to think about Adam. And when God created Adam, he told him that he would give him dominion over all that he created. You remember that? And one of the things that he was responsible for was naming the animals. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to this one verse. As Adam carries out that responsibility, it's chapter 2, verse 19 of Genesis, and it says, Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. See, when Adam named the animals, he gave them identity and purpose. He he was fulfilling the responsibility that God had given him as dominion over that creation. Well, in the same way, God has named each and every one of us because we have been created by him in his image. He has given us identity and purpose. And the fact that he's named every family in heaven and on earth reveals the, the scope of his dominion the realm of His responsibility, those over whom He has authority. All humanity. All creation on heaven and on earth. So part of Paul's confidence as he goes before God in prayer is his sovereignty over all this creation. He's the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He's a loving Father who cares deeply for His creation, so much so that He knows each of us by name. He wants us, as His children, to come before Him in confidence, to approach that throne of grace and to reveal our hearts. And so that's how Paul begins. That's his heart in prayer. And then he starts to to pray specifically for things that he desires for those in the Ephesian church. Let's look at that together, verse sixteen. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When I was a physical therapist. One of the things that I would do is people would come into my clinic. They were there because of a, a problem that they had from either an injury or illness or disease. So my responsibility as a, as a therapist at that time was to take each piece, person uniquely and, and do an evaluation to find out those specific areas of weakness and, and the implications that had on their life and daily function. And, and then to try to customize a treatment plan for them that would help them achieve optimal function, their optimal potential. And that varied per patient, depending on their diagnosis and what they were dealing with. For some, it was a return to high-level athletics. When I was doing an internship, one of my internships was at the Tom Landry Center in, in Dallas. And so I did preseason evaluation on professional athletes. Back then, there was a, a young man by the name of Jamal Mashburn. He was supposed to be the next greatest basketball player, and I was doing his preseason evaluation, just shaking at the knees, hoping I didn't screw something up. But it was uh, an experience like that, 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 you know, you looked at and said, this is incredible to see somebody of this gift, this, that's this gifted and talented. But I also had patients that um, I treated who weren't necessarily trying to get back to that level of athletics. They just wanted to be able to walk up the stairs to go see their kids play football. Probably the most gut-wrenching that I had the opportunity to care for and treat were those with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. A slow process. I remember specifically one man had twin girls. (laughs) And his goal was for me to help him strengthen his arms so he could hug them. That's all he wanted. And, And so my desire as a therapist was to understand specifically what they wanted to do, and then to help them reach that full potential. Well, I think when we look at this passage in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, it's very similar. He wants them to be strengthened by the Spirit. To be strengthened, not physically, but it says, in the inner man. It's an inner strength. Be strengthened with power by His Spirit in the inner man. In a sense, he's building faith muscles, (laughs) He wants to help us experience all that that God has made possible. And like that treatment plan that I might have designed for a patient who came to see me, the Spirit of God works uniquely with each and every one of us. Helping us be able to fulfill the potential of what He's called us to do. To give us exactly what we need for the task. So that we are lacking in nothing. And, And we know that that's true because... He says that we're strengthening according to the riches of God's glory. So what that tells us is that there's an unlimited supply. As God works in each of our lives individually, He's not partitioning things out as if there's a limited supply and He has to be careful not to give too much as if He might run out. It tells us we've already learned that His grace is lavished upon us. He gives us everything we need for life, And for godliness. We are strengthened by His Spirit to carry out His unique calling in our life. So that collectively, when we work together as God's people, we carry out a redemptive purpose in the world. That's the plan. And with that plan is a promise. That we would be strengthened in accordance with the riches of His glory. His grace has truly been lavished upon us. So as we think about that, I want you to consider the, the truth and, the, and the, the value of being equipped uniquely and specifically for what God has called us to. In your bulletin on the back, you see a, an excerpt that I've written about Amanda Wade. I write something in the bulletin every single week. And the reason I do that is because I want you to hear stories Of the way God is working uniquely in people's lives to equip them for something he has prepared beforehand so that they can walk in it. And what you're going to see in the bulletin is a picture of what that looks like through Amanda's story. This week also had the opportunity to spend some time with Lindsay Christensen and learn more about Parkridge Pregnancy Center. She gave me a tour and talked a little bit about her role and responsibility there and I left That time, thinking to myself, God has uniquely equipped this woman to do this job, to care for these clients and to lead the staff. And both Amanda and Lindsay would tell you that it's not because of anything that they have brought to the table, but it's exactly what God has prepared them for and laid out before them so that they could walk in the midst of it. And that's a picture of of what it looks like. (laughs) To walk in, in faithfulness, to steward God's grace through a relationship with Jesus Christ as He leads the way. That's Paul's point in verse 17. He says, the ultimate goal is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The source of our strength is ultimately found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So in that sense, our strength comes through surrender. Allowing His Spirit to transform our lives. Trusting in His His power, uh, His leading and direction, His guidance. To be all that He has ultimately created us to be. And that can only happen when Jesus Christ rules and reigns in the throne of our heart. We need to have a heart that is completely surrendered to Him. An inner strength that is found through a a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. Look at how Paul continues there in verse 17. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Rooted and grounded in love. Paul's using two metaphors here that are intended to basically describe the same thing. Rooted is an agricultural metaphor. Grounded is an architectural metaphor. But they're both speaking to what it means to have a strong foundation. When you think about the stability of a tree, you know that it's based on the strength of its root system. If you think about the stability of a house, you know that it's based on the foundation it's built on. That's the whole point of Jesus' parable of the two houses, one built on sand, which wasn't going to stand. When difficult things came, it was going to crumble because the foundation was shift underneath it. But instead, he said, build that house on a rock, something that's immovable. And that's his point here as well, when he's telling us that we need to build Our faith on something that's rooted and grounded on the foundation of love. You remember when we walked through 1 Corinthians. We went through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, right? You remember in verse 13 it says that you need to abide in these three things. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Because it's the foundation upon which all these other things are being built upon. There's a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Dr. Barnhouse who was teaching through Galatians chapter 5, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And he talked about the importance of love. I, I absolutely love what he had to say. Listen to how he describes this. He says, love is the key. And here's how he describes it. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. And self-control is love holding the reins. Isn't that a great picture? And he would say, without love there is no fruit of the Spirit. And I would say, based on our passage... Without love, there is no strength in the spirit. It is the foundation. We have to be rooted and grounded in love. Only then can we comprehend with all the saints the full dimension of God's love for us. And when we look at that, he talks about the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And when we read that, don't think in finite terms like he's giving us measurements. You know, like you're building a cabinet 36 inches wide, 12 inches deep. And that's not what he's talking about. In fact, the infinite love of God has no limit. So I think he's saying as far as you can go that way or that way or that way or that way, there's no limit because his love is infinite. It's wide enough to include the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's long enough to last forever. There's neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, things present or things come. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's deep enough to rescue us from the lowest death. We've learned that through Ephesians. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were dead in our pre- trespasses, enslaved, indulging in the desires of the flesh, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's high enough to lead us to heaven. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. There are no limits to the infinite love of God. And so Paul says in verse 18, his prayer is that you may be able to comprehend. That word comprehend means to take hold of, to seize. Paul is saying, I want you to embrace the experience of, of God's love, what, what you know to become something that you deeply believe so that it radically impacts how you live, to comprehend with all the saints. See, that's an important piece of this. Because our comprehension, our understanding of what the love of God looks like is experienced within the context of community. Again, that's why I write in the back of the bulletin every week. I've done it for seven years now. That's over 300 bulletin excerpts. That's 300 different examples of the way God is at work in lives of people in this church, transforming them to be like Him. And and every one of those stories is like another facet of a diamond. And with every new facet, it grows in brilliance. It's the same thing with a painting. It's it's the variety of colors that, that brings it to life. And so it is with the church. We learn about God's love through the experience of God's love that we share with one another. This past week, Dawn has shared with my family in an answer to the prayer that we've been praying for her family and her dad's care. And we learned about how the uh, insurance has allowed some provision of services that were beyond what any of us expected. <laughs> that when the caregiver came into the house, that there was an immediate connection and her mom absolutely fell in love with this. Person and how sweet John, her good friend, stood with her dad for hours while he got dialysis. And and as I hear this story that she shares, I am understanding a depth of God's love in a new and different way. It has added color to the picture. And and that's why it's important for us to, to share the love of God at work in our lives so that we can grow in our understanding of how deep and how wide and how incredible that infinite love really is. The more we experience God's goodness, the deeper our understanding of God's love. I think maybe one of the best pictures of what that looks like is in the design of marriage, God's idea, right? I think about almost 25 years ago, Terry and I stood on the altar because we loved each other, and we decided we were going to get married. And I look back on that, and I think we had no idea (laughs) what love was all about. And, And as I think about, well, how did that happen? I think about all the things that we experienced together. I think about the loss of her dad just months after we got married. I think about the tragic loss of my brother way too early. I think about the pain of infertility. I think about the joy of pregnancy. I think about the miracle of adoption. I think about the challenge of faith when I change careers. But when I think about all those things, I think about her. Because we shared them together. And because of that experience, The depth of our love has grown deeper and deeper every year. There is nothing more powerful than to be fully known and yet fully loved. And marriage is just a snapshot of what that looks like in our relationship with God. (laughs) To be fully known. Nobody knows us any better than the one who created us. And yet no one loves us more than him. And the more we experience his goodness in our life, the more we understand the depth of his love. Paul says, comprehend with all the saints that which surpasses all knowledge. That's an interesting statement. Have you ever read that and thought, wait a second, how does that work? How are you supposed to know that which is unknowable? That's basically what it says, right? I think his point is this. It's not intellectual. This is not something you research and determine what it is based on what you intellectually understand. This is a love that is experienced. It is known by investing yourself to the lives of others into a walk with Christ. And even though you can't explain it, you certainly know what it's like when you experience it. It's a love that is beyond explanation. And the more you know Christ the deeper the experience of that love to the point as paul writes there in verse 19 when he says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of god here's the incredible truth that that god is infinite no matter how long you live including through eternity you will never get to the limits of his love you will never comprehend the fullness Of who He is. Because He is infinite in all things. But it does say that we are to be filled up with all the the fullness of God. That only happens when when Christ dwells in our heart through faith. That was His point. It's kind of like this. If you were to take a mason jar and go to the shore of one of the oceans. And you were to dip that mason jar into the water. Would all the water in the ocean be in that jar? No. But is that jar filled completely with ocean water? Yes, it is. And that's what it is to live in a relationship with Christ. You are filled to all the fullness of God. Your life is complete so that when you know Christ, you have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. When you know Christ you have everything you need for life and godliness. When you know Christ, you have beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. That's what it means to be filled to the fullness of God. That's what he says in verse 20. Look at that with me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. When Paul closes his letter, he moves from theology to doxology, from practice into praise. And ultimately, when when Paul's prayer that he prayed here for the Ephesians is, is prayed for and answered in our life, our hearts will do the same thing. They will sing with gratitude and praise. When we learn that God's capacity for doing far exceeds our ability for asking. An amazing thought to consider. As Paul has said in that very first prayer, he says, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in you. Your life is being transformed by a resurrection power. Think about that. What that tells us, if nothing else, is that there is no limit to what God can do. Not even death itself can stand in the way. And that same power that raised Christ from the grave is at work in you. The church of Jesus Christ will eternally experience the infinite goodness of God. We will never find its limit because there is none. And it starts right now. The more we experience... The more our hearts sing with praise, that's the response. That, that's how we know that we are walking in the truth. What it is to be known and to know Christ is we sing with a heart of praise. We give glory for the grace that He has lavished upon us. And when we do, when that's our life, we reveal Christ to the world. Be strengthened in the Spirit. Be grounded in His love. Be filled with His fullness. And then really the application to what Paul has prayed is the last word. What is it? Amen. It means I believe. And that's important because if that's what you believe, it radically changes how you live. If it isn't what you believe, then it has no effect. But if it is, it cannot but have effect. In the way you live, the way you think, the way you pray, the life you live. And ultimately, if that's who we are, the outcome is that we reveal Christ to the world around us. It's what it says there at the end. To Him be the glory, in the church and in Christ to all generations forever and ever. Because if the church is being everything that God has created us to be, working uniquely and individually in our lives so that we can collectively fulfill a redemptive purpose in the world, Christ is revealed to the praise and glory of His grace. So as we finish up, let me remind you of something I mentioned in the beginning that I think is important that we don't forget. It's true for Paul, and I think it's true for you and I as well. We will always do our greatest ministry on our knees. Whether you're a parent, a pastor, a friend, a neighbor, see, people can exist just fine without us, but they cannot exist without the presence of God in their life. And so we want to pray that they become everything that God created them to be. Be strengthened in His spirit, grounded in His love, filled with all the fullness of who God is. Not too long after I became a believer, somebody gave me a little booklet called "My Heart, Christ's Home." Anybody ever read that? There's a few of you. I, for me, at that time, it was significant because you know we hear people say, "I invited Jesus into my heart," and and and. I've given my life to Christ, and those are jar- that's jargon that makes sense to us. Somebody comes from another country, another place in the world, they're thinking, what in the world are you talking about, right? And that little booklet helped me understand what it meant for Christ to dwell in my heart through faith, just like Paul was praying for the Ephesians. And so this past week I ordered some for us, and I want you to i will have them out in the foyer, and I want to ask each family to take one of those. And as one of the things that you do in response to what we walked through this morning, I want you to read that as a family. And I want you to think about what it means for Christ to dwell in your heart through faith. In this particular uh, little, it's actually based on a sermon back in 1951 by a Presbyterian pastor who took that idea and developed it into some imagery that allows us to walk to the different rooms in our heart, different places in our life, to see if that's where... Christ reigns. And if you're like me, you're going to find some places where you need to clean house, right? You're going to find some closets that you didn't want to see exposed. But if Christ rules and reigns in our life, then he has access to all things. Nothing is off limits, and nothing is outside of the boundaries of his power to redeem. So you can go with grace and great confidence that you will meet him in mercy and he will work in your lives uniquely to help you become all that he's created you to be. So please take one of those and you don't have to read it all at once. Maybe take a room at a time. (laughs) Maybe a good way to do it, by the way. Um, But just take some time to use it as a devotional for something that y'all walk through based on what we worked through in this passage this morning. Would you do that? So let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of coming before you and just for the truth and the understanding that your presence is with us, that you dwell among us as your people, that you work uniquely in our lives, uh, specifically for what you've called us to, the good works that you've prepared beforehand, so that as we follow you, we walk right in the middle of them and we never lack anything that we need to fulfill the purpose that you've designed us for. And that when each of us individually is walking in accordance with your will, that collectively we are being built together to be a people who reveals Jesus Christ and his redemptive purpose to the world around us. And the more we see that happening, the the different facets, the more brilliant the beauty of your goodness to the world around us. Help us to share our story with each other those in our jobs and in our neighborhoods, so that we might be faithful to be strengthened by your Spirit, to be grounded in your love, to be filled in all the fullness of who you are and what you've made possible in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before you go, let me introduce you to somebody. You had the privilege of meeting Samantha a couple weeks ago at Easter when she... uh, took the step of faith in baptism, and I mentioned to you at that time that Samantha and I had the opportunity to walk through that together, to look at scripture with each other, and I delighted in that. I looked forward to the time when she came to my office for us to sit down and do that together. So if you haven't met Samantha, I would encourage you to introduce yourself. She's a sweet, sweet woman of God, and we're so grateful that she's a part of our church family. So glad you're here. You bet. Y'all are dismissed.